Welcome to episode 35 of the Search with Canada podcast recorded on Thursday the 7th of November 2019. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today I'm joined by Andrew Smith. Hello. Uh, Andrew is an SEO consultant, founder of Olive Pods and ex-head of SEO for Expedia, Cheap Flights, eDreams, some of the biggest names on the web. Um, we're going to be talking to Andrew today all about big site SEO, the challenges and the things he's learned over his well over a decade in SEO. Andrew, thank you so much for coming from Barcelona to a slightly uncharacteristically cold, rainy Norwich. It's eight degrees. How does that make you feel? <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's it's good to be here. I'm not really sure it's uncharacteristic though, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to sell it that it's uncharacteristically. <laughs> normally it's almost, you know, you couldn't tell the difference between here and Barcelona normally. Yeah, on Monday it was about 25 degrees in Barcelona, so it was nice. Here it's freezing cold and raining, but yeah, it's all good. Um, you're going to do a talk tonight at Search Norwich, which is brilliant, all about big site SEO. And I would say big site SEO is something you particularly have a lot of experience um, in. Do you want to just define what, what you mean when you say big site SEO, whether that means literally like a site with lots of pages or lots of traffic or both? And what kind of scale are we talking about? Sure. Um, so, yeah, it is sites. I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose my definition is of a big site is probably anything over like 100,000 pages. Um, and it's quite different challenges that you deal with in terms of traffic. I don't know. We're talking like millions and millions of visits you know, per month. So it varies from market to market. But I think it's, it's also if you work at a company that maybe has um a site in every market perhaps it's got like hundreds of markets that it's in it's it's not only one site that has a million pages it's maybe 40 50 100 sites that have a million pages so there's different challenges that come with that so for me that's in online travel that's that's where most of my experience experience is um generally it's websites that have around about the one to two million pages mark so that is big so what what would you say yourself is the main differences between big site SEO and small site SEO? It's it's the scale of problems that you have to deal with. So, for example, um, what do you do to figure out content across, you know, if you've got a small site with less than a thousand pages, you can figure out content for that. You can figure out the content that's going to go on most of that site. Maybe it's going to be a lot of blog content. But when you've got maybe 50,000 routes, you know, flights from X to Y, how do you figure out content for that? How do you figure out um, exactly what's going to go on those pages, what's going to be good for users? How are you going to do internal linking? So if you've got a thousand page website, it's quite easy to do internal linking and maybe get everything like four clicks away from the homepage. But how do you do that when you've got a million pages to deal with or even more than that, you know? Um, so it's the... The, the fundamental difference is it's the scale of the problem that you're dealing with and generally it just means um, that it's a, it's it's more challenging it's kind of heavier lifting that has to be done you need to come up with with more much more scalable solutions to, to different problems so okay so I think 
what we're circling around here is that some of the technical challenges on big sites, the the size of the problem scales with the size of the site. So if you've got a thousand page site and you know your canonical tags aren't quite right or something, um, or your internal linking's not spot on, it's not going to make a huge difference. But if you've got half a million pages, that problem scales with all of those pages and becomes a very big problem. It does, yeah. I think the the other thing to consider as well is quite often on a in a you know in a kind of large company they might have lots of old technology. So a good example is when I was at eDreams. So eDreams they eDreams Digio as a, as a company they've bought lots of different brands and each of those different brands have got different technology. So to try and harmonize that is a challenge in itself. So if you're, so maybe, yeah, you might have old, a, a whole bunch of old pages which have got canonicalization issues or um, internal link problems or really poor content. It could be a whole host of different things. But the challenge is also, okay, do you, do you as a company actually have the development resource to properly work on that technology? Chances are maybe you don't, right? So it could be that you've got some old tech that's kind of sitting around, it's still capturing traffic, and it's like, how do you deal with that as well? So it's both. It's that, yes, it's the scale of that problem across many, many pages, and, and how do you fix that? And then some of it is also actual technical issue in terms of the, the platform that it sits on, you know, what it's written in and, and the, the level of understanding of that. And, and also the some of those technologies that are maybe a bit older they're a lot less flexible so it's harder to physically harder to actually do that you know you don't necessarily have a some companies are great they have a cms you know for everything it's all kind of on one platform it's super streamlined and easy to do and that's as an seo in a in a big company that's that's what you want that's that's what you're aiming for but um it's really the reality it, it, yeah I don't, <laughs> exactly i don't think it is the reality for most it's it's a lot more hard graft and kind of fixing fixing stuff and lots of smaller tickets to maybe do stuff which is because it's not as flexible as you'd like it to be i think it's definitely something agencies miss sometimes when they try and engage or help these larger sites coming from the outside not knowing the technical debt the history you know i've seen people kind of scoff and be like oh well they haven't even done this and they haven't even done this but actually it's not because you know incompetent people or idiots are working there it's actually because there's this multi-layer of challenges it might you know be internal politics it might be technology it might be resource that they know it needs to be done it's just there are other things that are, are bigger fires that, <laughs> that need putting out first yeah exactly that and i think some of it is um you also wrap up some of these fixes like you've you know seos within the within you know my teams of they we know about the issues that are there but it's just that it's that we've got some other bigger challenges that we're dealing with and some of it is okay take a for example um i think about um a set of pages that we had on a on a podo um in germany and those were uh, there were a set of like holidays pages so it was like holidays to a particular destination and actually a lot of that content was coming from a third party um and I think the, I think it was Traveltainment. And a lot of that content's coming in on a, on a kind of set of pages which have been around for ages. Um, they're sat there and it, they've got fundamental problems with kind of how we, how we deal with it. But we know that in parallel, we're working on our own set of pages, right? We're working on, on a set of landing pages to replace these. 
So it's like, okay, once we once we've migrated and kind of got those pages ready, um, connected to a CMS that's more scalable, it's like we're going to solve all of those problems. So a lot of it is is identified and understood, and it's, it just becomes a it's it's a big sort of juggling act in terms of what do you prioritize and what do you focus on, and that could be both at a technology level, but also at a market level. So things that you so we try to tackle problems in a scalable way. So we try to solve an issue that we know once we do it in a particular way we're then going to solve that across 40 markets rather than just trying to solve it on one or two we talked about identifying some of these the these issues with large sites and there is the kind of -of run-of-the-mill tools that every seo will use like you know google search console obviously analytics Um, you've got desktop tools like screen frog site bulb and then you've got Kind of the platforms like Systrix, uh, SEM Rush, those kind of things. Are there any particular tools that you find that you go to or have been particularly helpful with big site SEO? Because obviously, especially you know desktop tools, you know it, it's obvious they're not suitable for crawling millions of pages. You know your your laptop will melt trying to do it, and even things like Google Search Console, you know the the interface itself isn't up to really getting to the bottom of issues when you've got that many pages. So how, how do you tackle that and what have you, what tools have you used that have been helpful? Yeah, so um, so I think you can use some desktop tools if you think about, so don't try to identify every single possible issue is kind of my advice. It's mm-hmm. like separate the site out into sections and think, okay, look, we know that we've got issues with a particular section. Maybe it's your... Um, I don't know, your blue widget section, right? It's like, I'm going to take that section of the site, I'm going to crawl it. I know that roughly that's there's 20,000 pages. On travel, it can be quite easy because usually there's some sort of geography data. So you take the geography data and you can kind of estimate how many pages are going to exist based on that. Um, so you can use tools like Screaming Frog if you restrict the part of the site that you're looking at mm-hmm. and kind of limit that based on the, the URL structure. But one, uh, there's a couple. So one, I would say, is like log uh, the decent log file analyzer, something like Botify. Um, I've used in the past, and it's good. It's expensive, but quite often you're going to get a lot of value out of it. Um, the the and then I'd say it's kind of custom tools, right? So like you talked about Search Console, we you know we would build a a little tool that would sit on top of that to extract data out of it so that we can log it and we can keep it over a longer period of time. We can then do like year-on-year analysis and assessment. Um, I think another one that's that's sort of key is your ability to do A-B testing. So traditional sort of A-B testing is you're going to split the user behavior. So you've got one page um, or maybe a set of pages and you're going to send the user to a different kind of version of, of that. SEO A-B testing is quite different. So I sort of call it like horizontal A-B testing. And you can only really do it well if you've got a very big website to, to deal with. But let's say, for example, you want to test out a new piece of content um, or some sort of new functionality on your flights to city landing pages, where you can split those up. You can split those up across, you know, if you know you've got 100,000 of those pages, you can say, okay, look, I'm going to randomly assign uh, this version of the meta description or the title tag or the boilerplate content that's on there or whatever else it is. 
And then you, you really need to be able to compare that. And ultimately, what you're looking for is an increase in traffic on the version that, you, that you're testing against. But the only way you can really do that is across a very large set of pages. So if you've got 100,000 pages, maybe you're going to run it on 20,000 of them, 50,000, whatever, right? But you're going to do it at the template level, and then you're going to measure the performance at the template level. And that, I think, is that's probably the most important one. Um, because then you can approach SEO in a much more scientific way. You can properly assess, okay, what what is this what is this feature on these set of landing pages? What does it actually mean? What does it actually do? Um, TripAdvisor were probably, I would say, the most advanced at that. Right, but you know, I, they were they were doing A/B testing in SEO like over ten years ago, um, and so there were there are some features that you would find on TripAdvisor that look a bit unusual. And a bit weird and it's because they've tested it and, and found that it works better for seo so so it's maybe actually using some of these tools but using them in a different way in a more targeted way but it's interesting you should mention things like templates i don't know if you've had a chance to look at the new speed report that came out in google search console a few days ago not not properly no, no i've i've just briefly looked at it and one of the things i notice now is <clears throat> so they're rating pages by you know uh, slow, medium, fast, but they're actually grouping them by page template they're trying to identify, which I think is kind of the approach you're suggesting there, which is if you have kind of a fundamental technical issue, it probably applies to most of the pages, at least with that template. Um, so that that was a nice step forward because I know the new version of Search Console hasn't particularly been as popular <laughs> as the old version as some of the data is a bit more um, opaque than it used to be um, but that that was a good step forward I thought um, so while we're talking again still about differences between kind of big site SEO and small site SEO one thing I know we've spoken about a few times um, and I'm a big proponent of is the importance of internal linking on these sites so I mean what are your thoughts on, you know, how much more important is internal linking for, for big sites as opposed to, you know, link acquisition is, is always on the sort of top of the list for what people want from SEO. And it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, and sometimes it is overlooked, I think, on on even smaller, medium size. What, what are your thoughts about internal linking? Yeah, it's hugely important. It's it's um, I would go as far as to say that if you get the internal linking right on a really well-established brand, it would it can greatly reduce the amount you actually need to do more link acquisition, right? Because what it really means is that you're taking that domain authority that's there and using it way more effectively. Um, so, so Expedia, um, and actually I've done this at Cheap Flights and uh, and to an extent at eDreams as well, um, we approached internal linking in a, in a different way. So the way that we looked at it is we kind of said, look, if there's a 1.2 million pages here, uh, we first of all want to make sure they're kind of linked to correctly. And that might be through the kind of main navigation. So as long as you've got like a logical navigation that, that kind of goes through the different facets of pages, that's great. But actually what we've done at, done at Expedia is we, we kind of imagined that we had a sitemap and we kind of cut that sitemap up into pieces and placed that across the pages. So it's like we, we had a batch of internal links that would sit across every single page. And we've done it in quite a smart way. So we, we came up with an algorithm that would match demand to internal links. So we'd effectively say, okay, 
well, what is the search volume of flights to New York compared to hotels in Timbuktu? It's like we we would then we had an algorithm uh, and a, a kind of system that we came up with that would effectively increase the number of internal links based on the demand of that of that particular keyword. Now, this is you know we're talking years ago that we've done this. But I still think the logic stands to reason. It's like you're telling Google, hey, this page is more important. You know it's more important because there's a greater demand for it. Therefore, there should be more internal links that point to it. Um, so there's other sites that do this quite well. Um, I think home to go is a pretty good example of, of the way that they approach internal linking. We've got lots of internal linking happening um, on, the, on their, like, their destination pages. And TripAdvisor had a technology for this. Hotels.com, they built a technology for this after we got it right on Expedia. Um, so, yeah, it's hugely important. But I think it's, you can kind of think of it this way. It's like, if you've got a page in your information architecture, don't necessarily think to yourself, oh, this is a crap page. You know, this is a page that is is quite weak in content. It's quite poor. We, we try to think of it as, okay, well, what does that page already do? You know, it's like, does it already get some traffic? Yes, it does. Okay, well, therefore, then that can contribute to something else in the site. So what else can it link to? How else? So for us, it was like rather than cut down pages and, and try and actually cut down the content that, that sat on the site, it's like, okay, how do we leverage it better? Like, yeah, okay, we know. So it's if, the, if they're weak, there's always going to be weak pages on a big site. You're always going to have some thin content. So it's like think about how do you improve the kind of the pages themselves um, at the higher up in the in the hierarchy. How do you improve the content? How do you improve the template? So it's like the minimum kind of viable page. Make sure it's it's decent enough to to be in the index. So it's kind of justifiable. So that if it ranks and you get traffic to it, it's like you're not looking at it thinking, my God, why does this page? Why is this page ranking? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that then gives you the opportunity to, to take that page and link elsewhere with it. Um, you, you touched on very briefly there, and I think I picked up on something um, about the current trend of pruning pages. Is, is What are your thoughts on that? So for those that don't know, there's um, with some of the recent, I think you could put them under the, the umbrella of quality updates to Google. There's been a lot of advice going around about essentially just binning pages that aren't getting traffic or aren't performing um i've personally seen some very bad examples of this um where they're, they're all that needed to happen in my opinion was they could have uh, just improved the pages basically um but you kind of touched on that same you were saying rather than sort of cutting the amount of pages you were looking at sort of changing yeah them. i don't think i think the the trouble with i'm not saying that you shouldn't do i think there are there are there are some examples where it absolutely makes sense to do that um However, I'm I'm more of the school of thought where it's like you're you're kind of thinking there's a there's an opportunity out there and it's like how do I get a slice of that opportunity? Well, potentially I'm going to cut that opportunity if I remove a bunch of pages which are maybe capturing some of it. Yeah. So I'd much rather think okay, well how do I actually improve these pages? And the decision, you know, once you've assessed it and you say okay, look, is it does it make more sense to invest my time in improving the content for the for these pages over here which have already got lots more demand? versus investing a bit in these pages over here, which have maybe got smaller demand, right? So that it's kind of longer tail stuff versus torso or kind of head stuff, mm. right? Now, maybe the decision, you're going to come to the decision, 
based on analysis and based on saying, okay, what's the opportunity here? What's is it worth doing this? Maybe you will come to the decision to cut it. But I think you can also think to yourself, okay, you know, how much is this content so bad? Are these pages so bad that they're going to have a negative overall effect on the site? And I, my, my personal opinion is that a page needs to be really bad for that yeah. to be the case, right? It needs to have really bad loading time, like really very, very poor content. And so I think if you're in that situation, fine, maybe it does make sense. But I think you'd be, I think you'd be surprised at, or at, at what you still see in the index, right? If you go a little bit deeper mm. than the first couple of pages, you do still start to see some quite poor stuff in the index. And so the question is, it, are those pages really you know, completely damaging the site? I, I think if you're still getting traffic to it and you can find examples of them still ranking on, on page one, in, especially in the top five positions, then for me, I, I, I kind of challenge that and say maybe it's not really holding the site back. So That was so, such a much better answer than it depends. <laughs> <laughs> How So if we back up a little bit and talk about, again, big sites versus small sites and giving you a general question on how much do you think so seo has obviously changed a lot over the last several years how much do you think it's changed for big sites compared to small sites over the, the last few years and i'm asking you this specifically because i saw a lot of people kind of bemoaning the fact that oh google only ranks brands now it, it highly favors brands and I, th I think part of that's got to do with we've definitely seen the, the focus on quality over quantity in terms of links, which are, you know, by definition, I think, easier for big brands to get than, sm than smaller brands. And I'd be interested in your thoughts on how much of this sort of entity recognition stuff comes in with Google where they start to understand, oh, OK, this this name is a brand and it's mentioned here and how how much of those factors are weighing up and how it. How, how does it impact maybe strategically what you do now compared to what you used to do? Yeah. Um, okay, so I don't... For me, I think it's it's been about Google's sort of understanding of content that's probably changed the most, right? Um, and yes, I think the, the domains which are already really strong, it's very hard in, a, in an index which is so heavily dependent on links to um to sort of shift that right yes you can re reward content and absolutely i think you know google is rewarding content but quite often what you see is that, as well is that the biggest company kind of have you know good enough content so it's like are they rewarding the content are they rewarding the domain well it's you know it's a bit of both um i think one thing that that's that sort of changed is the importance of the quality of that content and I think actually what you find are quite a lot of sites that perform better, ones that have really good UGC. Um, so they're really leveraging that that UGC and actually you know, that in itself is just completely helping the, the amount of content that they've got. But I will say, I think this is kind of similar to, it sort of relates to the, the last question about culling pages. So you know, there might be a situation where you kind of think that it's just gonna to be too hard to actually put meaningful content around this, this particular subject on my website. So maybe it makes sense to cull it. But I think the, the difference is it's like generating useful, meaningful content across a very large set of pages is much, much harder than it used to be, right? It used to be that you could throw up a set of pages and probably just pull in some like 
generic content stuffed with keywords that kind of made sense. If a user read it, they wouldn't they wouldn't take any offense to it, but it would just be really <laughs> similar bit of content that exists. That, that's on... the bar of content. They yeah, didn't that, take offense to it. Exactly. That's kind of <laughs> how it, it used to be, right? So you could take a big website, especially if it's a website that had uh, you know, half decent link profile, you could take that, probably get that content index and, and get it ranking. Now, you know, it's very different. It's, it's the level of the depth of content that's required. So it's, it's, it's effectively like, ask yourself, how can I do skyscraper content across 5,000 pages? You know, even if you've got a website, which is a million pages, there's still going to be 5,000 pages, which are super, super important to you. And it's like, okay, how am I really going to get very, very good content here? And that for me is, I think, what's changed the most. It's like before those 5,000 pages would have better content, but now it's kind of the bar for that content is just getting higher and higher and higher. So the website, the kind of larger websites um, that, are, that are, I think you'll see, you'll see this with like the work they're doing around like trying to trigger featured snippets and in, improve better content around those type of questions and answers sort of uh, focus. And so those bigger websites are, are kind of putting that in place and, and you see them triggering more and more featured snippets. And I think that's going to be, it's that's the kind of generation of content is still happening. It's just happening in a, in a kind of smarter way. So it's like, how can I leverage data to generate content about um, all of, all of these different things on my website. So how can I use, um, so we, we use Traveler as an example again, but how can, I, how can I take like flight information data, generate useful content for that, that, that actually, you know, a user's gonna find uh, valuable. Mm. It's like, how do you do that? And then how do you add in the kind of more curated kind of really deep content as well? Okay, so I have a, I have a question on this for you, which um, to stay fashionable, I can relate to Bert because I have to get at least one question or it wouldn't be an SEO conversation now about Bert. So we spoke about this the episode before last. So if you missed that, uh, the canned version, um, and feel free to chip in if you think I've, I'm off kind of piste with this, the, the canned version of Bert is basically Google will understand the intent behind uh, user searches better by understanding the order of the words basically so it opens up it um it opens up a maybe another avenue for for sites so the question i have for you is we spoke before this podcast very briefly um bit naughty of me should have started recording really if we we're going to talk about it um i spoke to you about bert and i was saying as, as i did on the episode before last maybe if google is understanding the user query better it presents an opportunity for smaller sites to rank whereas the big sites that maybe ranked um, a single page a more generic page for multiple terms through their kind of link profile you know domain authority for one of a better word um, maybe now if google's decided actually this page that's not as important on this site matches the query better maybe they would rank better and the discussion we had on that was you know you made the very quick and correct counterpoint of well you know these big sites normally have that spread of content as well because like you said there's a huge amount of time effort and money going into producing that but it does strike me that 
you said one of the issues here is essentially if there's this greater focus on content and quality of content, that's an incredibly hard thing to scale because at the moment it's still basically a human thing to do really well. It's very hard to generate unless it's like very data-driven stuff, like really good content. So I guess my question is, do you think but and similar um, updates like RankBrain maybe give smaller sites an opportunity in that if I see a big site's got a whole set of pages that are generated and put together and are pretty useful, if I think, okay, right, I'm going to get these experts in and really smash it and just completely trounce them on content quality, you know, so I'm just only fight picking my battles with certain pages. Do you think, you know, the new algorithm might give them a, a, a snowball's hell and chance to rank or do you think it's still going to we're going to see more brands dominating search i really hope it's that way <laughs> but i don't think it's going to be that way because i think you'll find that the the larger websites take amazon as, as an example you know amazon have got so many pages which are effectively going to answer a query in a slightly different way it's like why wouldn't google just rank that other amazon page over the first page that they were ranking for Amazon in any way. Um, I think the other thing to consider is like when it, you know, when we're talking about human content, it's the bigger companies, they have the money to invest in a, you know, in a huge amount of content. So um, we were using uh, a company called, well, we, we were using lots of different companies for content um, at, at the different companies that I've worked at. Um, and it, we have the resources to, well, the money to buy that content, right? Yeah. If we if we want across the 5,000 pages, we want to have at least, I don't know, 1,500 words of decent content. Well, as long as we've got a really good brief for that and we kind of know exactly what content that's going to be, we've done the research, we, we, we've kind of really thought about it, we can then farm it out to a crowdsourcing provider and get that content. We can also supplement it with lots of different data sets and I think this is the challenge, right? Is that I don't think the, I think the online world is, is sort of shifted from being people that were sort of experts in a sector that have had a website to now being more like tech companies who, you know, who service a particular sector. It's like you're you're competing not so, not so much with. So if you're in travel, you're not just competing with other travel companies. You're complete. You're competing with kind of tech companies that do travel. Mm. And I think that that's the sort of challenge. So I think around like automation of content too, I think that's really, I think we're going to see more and more advancement around that. It's like we, we know that Google is kind of understanding content better. So yes, we're always a few steps behind Google, but we can leverage the same technology to start generating content. I think there's lots of news providers that are doing a pretty good job of this. You know, like Reuters are, are generate a huge amount of content and it's like, is it relevant? Well, yeah, it is, right? That, that so. always comes as a huge shock to, uh, to a lot of people, I think, when you actually show them that the some of the breaking news stories, so things like uh, sports results, earthquakes, where there are um, these APIs where they can just get the information instantly, those articles are written and published instantly by robots because we know the the timing of news articles is really important. You know, it's the first one to publish wins. And actually, I don't think many people are aware of that, that a, a not insignificant proportion of especially the breaking news stories they see has had basically no human interaction. It's just been put together through data and published. Yeah, exactly. And 
why won't this advance more? I don't see any reason why it won't. I think we'll get to the point where, you know, it will become a much more commonplace technology. So more and more, you know, companies will be using it for that. And yes, I'm sure Google's going to get smarter about kind of differentiating between what's sort of real content and what's kind of like generated content. But I think if you're doing a good enough job of kind of mashing it together, it's like, why does it matter? I don't think we should go into it too far, but the, the thread interests me in that if we're getting machines to generate this content, then they're all going to be using similar or the same algorithms, training sets, and it comes to the point where they'll all be kind of writing the same content anyway, so there will only need to be one source for that kind of content. But we'll, we'll shelve that now because I can... <laughs> That's a long conversation. So um, we're, I think we're over half an hour now already. So let's wrap up with something a bit more juicy. Okay. So in your opinion, and I'm not asking you to name names, um, your general opinion experience, in 2019, how much kind of black hat SEO, negative SEO is still taking place with big sites? And what form does it take? Is it still with link acquisition? Is it with PBNs? Is it sort of technical stuff that's happening? Um. Yeah, I think it's Andrew's sweating now. You can't see him, but he's broken out in sweats. <laughs> oh come on, you know more about Black Cat than I do. Some of the things you were doing back in the day. So, um, the I would say yes. It, it, there is still a lot of Black Cat stuff happening. Look, you know, people. Can you class? I wouldn't even really class PBNs as Black Cat. I think Which, Google would disagree. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Google would disagree. But do, do you think as well, I think an interesting question is, do you think some of the stuff that's happening, so um, if we just for now define as black hat stuff Google doesn't want you to do and they'll, they would penalise you for if you explained it to them, do you think a lot of it is happening through intention or through ignorance, through people just saying, well, that's going to get us the call, just do it without understanding the implication? Or do you think when it is happening, it's people just being like, we're going to take that risk and minimize the risk because of the, because the gains are there. So, um, no, I think it's intentional. I think maybe, I think there's a couple of things that are happening. One, I would say some of the focus has shifted away from, from SEO towards social and really trying to exploit social media in a different way, right? So I think a lot of, maybe a lot of the great minds that were working on Black Hat SEO are, are, have kind of focused a bit more on social media. Um, but I would say there there are still some things that, that are happening that are weird. Um, one thing that I've spotted, and I, I, I haven't really spent enough time digging into it, but one thing I've spotted is I've noticed a lot of websites, when you start looking at them in, in Ahrefs, they have a huge number of links where just a, a full stop is the anchor text. And they seem, it seems to be some kind of like image. It's related to image search as far as I can tell. But basically what you'll find is that their images are being ripped off placed on a page which is kind of mashed up a whole bunch of images and their way of linking back to the source of the image is like the full stop at the end of a sentence below the image and I see this happening on more and more websites and you kind of you look at the with the link profile and Ahrefs shows you like it's like oh look there's a it's like 20% of the anchor text is just a full stop it's super kind of strange so I think that there's something going on there that I'd like to spend a bit more time looking at that seems to be happening in terms of like negative SEO, well, there are some things that I've, um, I don't know if I should talk about this, Mark, but there's something that we've done that was kind of negative SEO, which was sort of a reputation management thing that we done with 301 redirects ages, ages ago. So 
Um, and that that was, I think, a quite legitimate reason because there was a very old news story that 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 started popping up in in the uh, top five of of search results for a brand, um, and we kind of like used a we we generated a bunch of redirects, turned turned them on and off, created a kind of weird looking link profile to the page, and the page then dropped and tanked, right? Why wouldn't that work now? And I think maybe this is the, the, these things are still happening. My experience, I've had a couple of things that have happened to me that I'd be surprised if they didn't still work. So one, when I was at Cheap Flights, we had um, we had a whole bunch of paid links that started to be point, pointed to us. They had absolutely nothing to do with us. And in the end, to resolve that, I actually contacted um, Philly and Casper and they got in contact with Google on our behalf because, like, it there was no manual penalty for it, but we lost, I think, like ten to fifteen percent of traffic after these links came about. Was you this know? pre-disavow? It tool? was around about the time of disavow, right? Okay. And so this kind of like paid link footprint that that got created through these links. Yes, okay, we you know we had because there were nothing to do with us. It's obviously a bit harder to get them removed and. And yeah, after this kind of like following up through um, the sort of backdoors into Google, it got resolved. Um, and then afterwards, you know, we had to disavow a whole bunch of stuff there. There's another example where I, I worked for a different company. It was in retail, um, and they had like widgets. And this was this was this is kind of goes back to your example of like, is it through thought of their own or is it intentional? This one, this was kind of unintentional, but they. They had lots of uh, review content that was being hosted externally on other websites. So it's their content that was being shown next to products um, on other websites. And one particular website decided to hide the links that referred back to that brand. So they just made them hidden links and they lost 30% of their traffic overnight. It took a couple of weeks to actually figure out what the heck had happened. Um, And... Once, uh, once we kind of asked them to put those links back in place and make them not hidden, the traffic came back immediately. But there was no penalty. There was nothing in Google Search Console to say, okay, look, you've been penalized. It's just a kind of weird algorithmic change that's happened as a result of those links. So I think, yeah, I think they're probably... Um, I think the, the, other, the other thing, right, is um, these, these services are for sale. And I don't think there would be websites that are dedicated to negative SEO if it didn't do something, right? So if you want to go and buy negative SEO, you can find a whole bunch of websites that are going to do that for you. Um, maybe they're all maybe they're all just con artists and it doesn't work. But you know, like, yeah, you're not exactly going to complain, are you? Exactly, right? <laughs> so you're going to file your complaint too. But I think you know, I think it does still work, um, and I think the. You know, when we when we talk about like PBNs, um, for me, yes, okay, it's against Google's guidelines, but I think the the trouble with it is it, it represents really good return on investment. That's I think the problem, right? Is that because it works, it's going to continue to be an issue. And I think until Google, we're probably not going to see this kind of this playing field where content is much more rewarded until we get to a point where Google's understanding of content becomes even better. So. Maybe in that kind of utopian world that we might get to, um, it will be it will probably just be down to Google's understanding of content. That means they don't have to rely on the, on the link signals quite so much. Um, and then who knows? We'll be doing some sort of clever black hat content things. So 
Andrew, thank you so much for your thoughts, opinions, experience. I look forward to hearing your talk this evening at Search Norwich. And you can get uh, the, we'll probably put a video of Andrew's talk up with the podcast. You can get all the notes from this episode at search.withcanda.co.uk. That's everything for this episode. We will be back next Monday, which will be the 18th of November. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you.